Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode 7 of We Don't Talk About P-Word. Today I want to do something a little different. This week in the United States, we celebrate Thanksgiving. I want to take today's episode and talk about the holiday, but also the far too little known facts behind it. I know this doesn't quite mesh with the theme of my political podcast, but it's important to understand historical events outside of the myths that persist. In a sense, the story of Thanksgiving is emblematic of American politics. It foreshadows the political relations with indigenous peoples throughout our history. Looking at it that way, I guess it does conform to the theme of my show. Now, before you get upset, I'm not trying to ruin your holiday. I'm not telling you not to celebrate Thanksgiving. I personally believe a day of Thanksgiving is essential to our well-being. It should be a day that we gather to recognize and give thanks for what we have and the privileges we enjoy. And of course, everyone deserves some time off from work and school. However, if you've been listening to my podcast, by now you will know my favorite saying, facts aren't meant to make you feel good. I want to discuss the real events surrounding the glamorized version we all know. This discussion will include a different perspective than you may have heard in the past. We'll look at events that both preceded and resulted from that famous shared meal. Finally, I will discuss how it went from an obscure event to a national holiday. I want to give you a fair warning. There will be some talk of disturbing events. This isn't designed to make you feel bad or even disparage America. Like the rest of my podcast, it is my hope to make you think about things from a different perspective. We cannot change the past, but we can and should strive to understand it and do better. In that vein, Thanksgiving must also be a day of reflection. While we celebrate what we have and the privileges we enjoy, we must reflect on the events that paved our path. Many of us may view Thanksgiving as a passing of the torch a day where the indigenous people of America passed the country to our forefathers. One could see this as a seminal moment in our nation's rise. Many indigenous Americans view Thanksgiving very differently. They rightly view it as a seminal moment in their decline. So, what is the true story of Thanksgiving? We consider the first Thanksgiving in America to be the feast that took place in Plymouth, Massachusetts in 1621. Like much in our history, this is a lie. Before that, there were at least two other first Thanksgivings. In 1565, members of the Timucua tribe of Florida shared a meal with Spanish colonists. In 1619, English settlers in Virginia observed a corporate-mandated celebration upon landing. Hell, some historians believe the Pilgrims would have considered 1623 their first Thanksgiving. Puritans used the term Thanksgiving to refer to a time of fasting, not feasting. Our Thanksgiving would have been more in line with our harvest celebration. That would mean it took place in either September or early instead of late November. Also, forget everything you think you know about Thanksgiving food. Yep, that includes turkey, mashed potatoes, and sweet potato pie. Wild turkeys may have been on the menu, but deer and seafood were more likely served as the main dish. Potatoes didn't become popular in the U.S. until Thomas Jefferson was in the White House. By the fall of 1621, 
the pilgrim supply of sugar was depleted, so pie was a no-go. Oh, and sweet potatoes weren't even planted in the U.S. until 1648, and didn't make their way to New England until 1764. I hope that fun trivia lightens the mood before the more severe events we are about to discuss. Now, let's talk about what we consider the first Thanksgiving, the one that took place in 1621. We know this Thanksgiving took place because of journals from two of the pilgrims who were there. These journals mention that at least 90 members of the Wampanoag Nation attended. The names of those attending were not included. The only one mentioned by name was the sachem, or chief, Massasoit Osamaquin. Notably, the journal entry did include all names of the 53 pilgrims, including the children. If you have been listening to my podcast, you know we can't jump immediately to 1621. We need a little bit of history to better understand. I would like to note one fact about the indigenous people before the arrival of Europeans to America. They had never experienced illness from livestock, overcrowding, or poor hygiene. Europeans of the time rarely bathed. They considered it unhealthy and immodest to remove all their clothes. A famous native, Tisquantum, who we will discuss more in a minute, tried to encourage them to bathe more. He was unsuccessful, and early Europeans called the natives savages. Before the pilgrims arrived in 1620, European fishermen visited New England regularly. They would come ashore to resupply. They would gather fresh water and firewood and kidnap slaves to take back to Europe. One of those slaves was Tisquantum. These regular landings of unwashed Europeans brought diseases. Three years before the pilgrims landed at Plymouth, disease decimated the indigenous population. There was a 90-96% to decrease in their population along coastal New England. This decimation continued long after the pilgrims' arrival. Of course, the early settlers credited God with clearing the way for Europeans. This near extinction provided Europeans with a head start in the New World. They were able to move into lands long cultivated for farming by the indigenous tribes. This really jump-started the colonization efforts of the Europeans. Historian and sociologist James Lowen notes this in his book, Lies My Teacher Told Me. He says that if it wasn't for this devastation, colonization may have not proceeded at all. Tisquantum was a member of the Patuxet tribe, part of the Wampanoag Nation. Several years before the pilgrims landed, he was abducted and taken to Europe as a slave. He was able to escape and made his way to England where he learned English. About a year before the pilgrims landing, he returned home. What greeted him upon his return to his village? Death. His entire village was gone, devastated by disease. In 1620, the pilgrims arrived, landing near Patuxet. Here, they established Plymouth Colony on the bones of Tisquantum's village. The Wampanoag Nation had been severely affected by the spread of European disease. They had lost up to 75% of their population. An enemy tribe, the Narragansett, had not suffered as much loss. Massasoit, the leader of the Wampanoag, saw the new arrivals as possible allies. He approached the pilgrims with Tisquantum acting as translator for these negotiations. The pilgrims and the Wampanoag agreed to a mutual defense treaty. 
Tisquantum, who history would remember as Squanto, decided to remain with the Pilgrims. He would teach them how to survive in this new world. However, this was not purely out of the kindness of his heart. Massasoit did not trust him, likely due to his time in Europe. Consequently, he lived as a prisoner among the Wampanoag. Fast forward to the harvest of 1621. Only half of the pilgrims that left Europe had survived the voyage and their first winter in the New World. Those that remained had much to be thankful for. As was a tradition, the pilgrims celebrated their harvest. In their merrymaking, they fired their guns into the air. Alarmed by the gunfire, Massasoit gathered his warriors and prepared for battle. When they arrived at Plymouth, rather than a fight, they were welcomed to a celebration. The Wampanoags and the Pilgrims worked together to prepare a feast. That is what has become known as the First Thanksgiving. The relationship between them remained cordial for the better part of 40 years. Sadly, this ended with the death of Massasoit in 1660. As more and more European colonists arrived, they steadily intruded on indigenous lands. With more Europeans, more sickness also spread, devastating the indigenous population even further. Relations between the colonizers and the indigenous people deteriorated fast. In the 1630s, what would be known as the Pequot War broke out. The Pequot tribe resided in Connecticut. There were several causes, but the fur trade was one of the biggest factors. A trader and several English colonists were killed by natives. The accused fled to and received sanctuary at a Pequot village. The Pequots refused to turn them over to the English. This ultimately ended the fragile peace in the area. Early on, this war did not go well for the English. For the first few months, the Pequot didn't lose a battle. Over time, other indigenous tribes enthralled to the Pequots allied with the English. In 1637, they attacked the Pequots at Mystic Fort in Connecticut. The Pequots of Mystic Fort were massacred. Having trapped the Pequots inside the fort, the English set it ablaze. Men, women, and children were all slaughtered. Of course, they declared their victory an act of God. This permanently changed the relations between the indigenous tribes and the Europeans. From this point forward, all relations were based on military threat. Two more Pequot massacres followed, all but eradicating the Pequot people. Under the leadership of Wamsutta, Massasoit's eldest son, tensions grew. The English grew concerned that he was plotting to attack their colonies. He was summoned and taken into custody by the Plymouth court. His mysterious death while in their custody greatly increased the tension. His brother, Metacomet, succeeded him in 1662. Forced into subjugation by the English, he eventually turned against them. Out of fear of losing their lands, which history would prove founded, he began to build a coalition. The natives' fear of the colonizers countered the colonists' fear of the coalition. In 1675, the tensions led to clashes. The English attacked a Narragansett village for refusing to turn over Wampanoag refugees. Several hundred indigenous Americans were killed in the attack. 
Metacomet led his people into what would become known as King Philip's War. Philip was the English name assigned to Metacomet by the Plymouth Court. The war took a toll on both populations. Half of the indigenous population and up to 30% of the European population in New England were killed. The war finally ended with Metacomet's death. His body was dismembered and his head was impaled on a spike to be displayed in Plymouth. It served as a macabre reminder set at the entrance for the next two decades. His allies were either executed or sold into slavery. This included his wife and young son, who were both sold into slavery in Bermuda. For all intents and purposes, this ended the power of the indigenous tribes of New England. Their lands were no longer theirs, even if they didn't yet realize it. I recognize the somber nature of what I have told you. To be honest, that was kind of the point. It is also important for me to point out that this is only a very broad overview. If you dig deeper, it is even more disturbing. I encourage you to do so. As hard as it may be, it is important. Understanding our history is essential. It is vital to both our future and the empathy necessary for a nation for the people to flourish. The last Thursday of November was still a long way from being declared a national holiday. For the next 242 years, Thanksgiving was celebrated mainly in New England, if at all. The Continental Congress declared a day of Thanksgiving in 1777. George Washington declared another in 1789. He was the last president to do so for quite some time. It wasn't until the 1840s when Sarah Hale made it her mission to make Thanksgiving a national holiday. She discovered the previously mentioned journal writings and decided to revive this celebration. Starting in 1846, she wrote a letter to every new president. She was ignored by five of them. Finally, in 1863, her persistence paid off and Abraham Lincoln responded. The United States was in the middle of a bloody civil war. Lincoln was looking for a way to bring unity to the nation. On October 3, 1863, he issued a proclamation. He noted the things to be thankful for, but also spoke of the horrors of the ongoing war. He did not address the loss and suffering of the indigenous tribes. He didn't even address the event now known as the First Thanksgiving. He declared the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving and praise. It became a permanent fixture following Lincoln's proclamation, but it still was not what we would consider mainstream. That was a result of something more poignant, racial politics. In the late 19th century, immigration was causing tension across the country. White Protestants became uncomfortable with the influx of Catholics and Jews, they wanted a way to exert their superiority over these new arrivals. What better way than a sensationalized myth of the birth of our nation? This new mythologized version of our founding ignored the massacres and theft. The indigenous people of New England welcomed the colonizers with open arms. They turned over the keys to the kingdom and marched into obscurity, never looking back. This myth only worked because the conflicts in the American West had come to an end. Accounts of clashes in the West no longer permeated newspapers. 
the United States had beaten the indigenous Americans of the West into submission. This allowed for a story of indigenous people that did not paint them as savages. During Reconstruction, this allowed a change in narrative. We were no longer a nation based on slavery and genocide of indigenous people. We were now a nation of white Protestants welcomed by the indigenous tribes. It was a nice little story that made the people feel good. It was a tale that allowed us to ignore the truth of what our ancestors did. The myth helped further white Protestant superiority. It reduced indigenous Americans to insignificant actors. It ignored their claim to the land they cultivated for thousands of years before our arrival. It forgot cultures and tribes. Many lost the history forever. It took for granted the role indigenous people played in the prosperity of our nation. In 1970, Frank James was the leader of the Wampanoag Nation. He was invited to a state Thanksgiving dinner. He was asked to give a speech to mark the anniversary of the sailing of the Mayflower. His speech was deemed inappropriate, and he was given a revised version. Frank refused to read the revised speech, was thus disinvited from the program, so he left. Supporters followed Frank to Coles Hill, overlooking Plymouth Rock. In the shadow of the statue of Massasoit, he gave his version of the speech. In it, he highlighted what Thanksgiving meant to his people. He underscored the injustices the indigenous people of America had been subjected to. I want to highlight one part of his speech. It is with a heavy heart that I look back upon what happened to my people. Even before the pilgrims landed, it was common practice for explorers to capture Indians, take them to Europe, and sell them as slaves for 220 shillings apiece. The pilgrims had hardly explored the shores of Cape Cod for four days before they had robbed the graves of my ancestors and stolen their corn and beans. This became the first official national day of mourning. Frank James devoted much of his life to fighting against racism and for the rights of indigenous people. He shined a much needed light on the injustices done to all people of color. He was a credit to his nations, both the Wampanoag and the United States. As Thanksgiving Day approaches, I hope you will take the time to reflect on its meaning. What does it mean to you? What might it mean to others? I am not asking you not to celebrate Thanksgiving. I'm not even asking you to take responsibility for our ancestors. There is nothing wrong with being proud of our nation. I, for one, am proud to be an American. I am proud of the accomplishments our nation has been responsible for. What I am asking is for you to take a moment and consider how others may view many events in our history. I am asking you to look beyond the propaganda. Realize that there is more to understanding our nation than what is taught. I hope you will join with me in reflecting on the culture and land stolen from indigenous Americans. Join me in remembering the many lives taken so that our nation could thrive. I ask that you join me now in a moment of silence to honor our indigenous brothers and sisters.
It is important that we remember and understand our history. This is not to shame. It's not to lessen the greatness of our nation. We must remember our history so we ensure we never repeat it. We must understand our history so we know how to prevent travesty from happening anew. It is our responsibility to ensure we understand the truths of our nation. It doesn't matter how ugly or despicable we may find them. It is our responsibility to ensure future generations do not forget the lessons of our past. That is the only way to ensure the atrocities of the past are not repeated in the future. As you sit down with your family on this day of remembrance and thanks, I hope you will also take a moment to reflect. Give thanks for all that you have and reflect on those that lost so much for our nation to thrive. Remember that a day many of us celebrate as the beginning of our culture is also a day others mourn as the end of theirs. Before I go, I want to direct you to the transcript for today's episode. At the end, I have included links to several online resources that were instrumental to today's episode. The first one listed is a link to Frank James's full and uncensored speech. I truly hope you will take the time to read it. I have also provided a link to Lincoln's proclamation. In addition, I have provided links to the official sites for the tribes I discussed in today's episode. Sadly, the Timuqua tribe is now extinct, but each site has resources to learn more about each of them. Lastly, I have included a few other links that helped with today's episode. I will be taking the rest of this week off to enjoy the Thanksgiving holiday, which means there won't be an episode next week. Thank you for joining me on Episode 7 of We Don't Talk About P-Word. Please head over to www.talkpword.com and subscribe to my podcast. Also like, follow, and share on Twitter and Facebook. Any questions or comments, you can direct them to talkpword at gmail.com. Until next time, qui custodiat ipsos custores, populus facere.